talking about the Heat and their three-point shooting. I just saw this tweet from Lev Akabas. I hope I said his name right, but he covers the sports business and NBA data uh, for Sportico. All right, and he has one of those charts, you know, with all the little dots, and it kind of groups everything together, and you yeah. can see, uh, you know, where things lie. And I don't remember what it's called. I don't care. There's probably people screaming at me like, "You idiot!" This is what it's called. Uh, tweet me because I don't know what it is. Anyway. What this shows us here is the Miami Heat hit 58% of their wide-open threes in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics in that series. That's not only the highest percentage a team has hit of wide-open shots in these playoffs, but it's the most threes in any series in the past 10 years. It's crazy. That is an unbelievable stat. Yeah, I mean, but I don't get it. I don't get the drop coverage and just letting guys shoot open jumpers, especially when like a guy like Caleb Martin didn't miss all series. That's, that's the Mike Budenholzer way of going out like yeah not making the right adjustments Miami I was like okay this isn't sustainable in the second half I, I said that all all series all playoffs long I said that even against this the literally Knicks. became like, a meme I'm like they're not going to continue to shoot 50% from three but they just kept doing have it. have you seen the Simpsons meme where it's like it's Bart Simpson with the hat on of the current Miami Heat opponent yeah, I've seen that. or the last one that they got they lost to the yeah. last one that lost, and he's like say it Say yeah. it. They can't keep this up, can they? <laughs> exactly. Like, and it's what they keep doing. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's impossible to sit here and quantify what this team is because you just have never seen such a turnaround from what it was in the regular season to where they are now. Do you know the opening line for Nikola Jokic uh, Finals MVP Ryan was plus thirteen hundred? Yeah, I know. I got eleven to one. Yeah, I was happy enough with that. It's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, yeah. Still pretty but, damn good. But um. I'm still mad about Boston. You know, Boston. you might be able to buy a boat after all after Biggest that. Biggest liability no, is actually no, no. Boston took – I got to drink the crappy coffee all week. I can't even go to Starbucks because of You just had Celtics. a taco, didn't you? You just had fajitas. fajitas. Well, I got to eat still. It's Joe Missoula's fault. That's the problem. You can't cook your own meals? Joe Missoula sucks. <laughs> oh, no, I can. Not when I'm at work at 1 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chase Kitty jumps on with us. Of course, Lions Edge podcast sports betting analyst for BetMGM. So, look, the, the Nuggets are heavy favorites in the finals. I don't think anybody's really surprised uh, for the most part, unless maybe you're the Miami Heat. But is this another situation, Chase, where, I don't know, there's a little too much going against and maybe not valuing the Heat and what they've been able to do in the playoffs so far? Or is this more of just you look at this series and go, yeah, Denver's just that much better, and it should be this way? It's so for me, uh, and I'll speak for myself. Uh, it's not only that Denver is that much better. I think it's actually the opposite of the first scenario that you described. And I understand sort of the emotional reaction of like, are we really still doing this? Are we really still doubting the Heat? Uh, but what I've seen, looking at the numbers closely, when we were going into the Eastern Conference Finals, I did a big write up for the BetMGM blog. The Celtics were a minus five fifty favorite in that series. And coming into the finals, Denver opens up, and I think they're still in this neighborhood, as minus 400. So there's actually a little bit of buyer's remorse from the market in terms of going against Miami, even though Denver, I think, is clearly a better team than Boston. So I, I think in, in that way, uh, it is kind of interesting to compare the two series prices, and it's one of the many reasons I think there's a big opening to bet Denver here uh, on some kind of series prop. you got to shop around. Uh, with all the different exotic markets that are available and, and find one that you feel like is reasonable for a good cost. If you're just going in there and banging that, that minus 400, uh, that's pretty rich. But I, I think there's a lot of openings here to bet Denver because of the shyness of the market post-Boston. Don't you think that uh, it's just kind of a, a slight on Denver more than it is an adjustment on Miami after beating Boston? The fact that 
the public just doesn't really like Denver as a team. I think there could be something to that. There, there's like an unsexiness to who the Nuggets are and what they do. Their best players, foreign-born. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of factors there in terms of just like public institutional bias. But I think another part of it is the public really likes Miami. They like the ROI that they have constantly gotten from a team that it does that's done nothing but just return these big plus numbers game after game after game. So I, you know, I was looking at the the, the public sharp splits uh, for Game Seven of, of the of the Boston series, and it was like eighty two percent public bets money line Miami. So the public really likes Miami, and, and they I suspect will keep hammering the the big plus numbers until they start to see somebody actually beat Miami regularly, and then I think there'll be a big crash. I need to uh, build up my bankroll again, Chase. So we'll get back to the NBA Finals, but. I've been told you have a couple baseball bets and maybe even a French Open pick for me and anybody else that lost half of their earnings to the uh, Boston Celtics and Jalen Brown. And Milwaukee for, Bucks, I think. And, and, and the Bucks as well, yeah. Yeah, let's not forget the Bucks money And my you kid lost has too. braces, Chase. And he know, never too. hedged and got Miami money and, like, no Miami bets along the way. Chase. Yeah, I was a big dummy, Chase. So uh, anything to help me out, bud? Who was more bummed last night, Bill Simmons, Ryan Horvat, or the Mighty Mighty Bostones? Like, what, what was the... Uh, just what I, was the temperature there? The I looked just like Simmons. <laughs> the only difference was, like, Simmons has a lot more money than me, and he was in the arena, and I was in a bar with, like, four other people on a, on a Monday that night. That must have been fun for the other four. They were so drunk they didn't even notice I was <laughs> there. And they were, all, they were all, like, over 64 and a half years old. It wasn't exactly the young crowd last night. It was, it was depressing. I kind of felt like Norm from Cheers, but like a depressing version of them. So anything to help me out because uh, I bet the Brewers tonight, and as I check the score, they're down 7-2. Uh, to two. We'll, we'll see if we can get you back here or something. Uh, I, I like, I think, the rest of the sports betting content world uh, bet the White Sox tonight in a couple of different ways. I got them on the first five line. I got them on the full line. So uh, I, I think that game may have already started, so I don't know how helpful that is. And I, I think you're on a couple of props there as well. Uh, French Open. Look, there's a million tennis tips that I could that I could give out in terms of like how to read tennis lines. Uh, I got one game. I got a couple games that I could break down, but one is really good in terms of not just finding a good bet, but also understanding kind of how tennis odds work. There's a game tomorrow between Denis Shapovalov, who's a really prominent Canadian player, he's top 25 in the world, uh, and a guy named Matteo Arnoldi, who almost nobody has heard of. Arnaldi's outside of the top 100 men's tennis players. Shapovalov, top 25. Arnaldi is a minus 135 favorite. So the guy that's ranked outside of the top 100 is the favorite over the guy in the top 25. There are a thousand reasons why that could be. But, and, and you know, if, if we really wanted to talk about the mechanics of this specific match, we could, but it would bore everybody to hell. Uh, the important thing is when you see a number like this, and the rankings kind of don't matter, but people think they do, so they kind of do. It's one of those situations. When you see a guy who's outside of the top 100 as a favorite like this, you bet him nine times out of 10, just because of how market stuff works like this. So I really like Ronaldi minus 135. I'd maybe even think about like looking looking for some more aggressive plays like uh, like on a games line or a sets line or something like that to try to get a plus number. Uh, I like Sonego, minus 105, Lorenzo Sonego against Ugo Humbert. That's another one. These are these are tomorrow morning matches, but it's France, so tomorrow morning is like 3 a.m. our time, so if you want to bet it, don't wait till tomorrow. you got to do it tonight before you go to bed. And then one other tip that I, I like to give out for not only the French Open, but just 
Grand Slam tournaments in general, when you're looking at these big draws that have over a hundred players, you know, major tennis is a it's it's a draw for big time players. There's not a ton of early upsets of the great players. So this is a spot where money line parlays are awesome. Uh, I'm looking at Andre Rublev. I will tweet all this out after the segment in, in case you're like, you're talking too fast. I can't write yeah, all this down. Yeah, we're trying to take notes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. yeah, I'm betting all this actually. Yeah. Five, five leg money line parlay Andre Rublev, Janik Sinner, uh, Carolina Muchova, Madison Keys, and Arena Camellia Begu. That's minus 114 on a five leg parlay. I'll, I'll tweet it all out. I'll DM it to you, whatever you want. But uh, I'll put that in writing after the segment so everybody has it. Yeah, please just DM all of us because I think we're all just going to probably tail you on that. Talking to Chase Kitty, bet MGM tonight. Uh, we were talking earlier in the show, just kind of looking ahead a little bit in terms of like whether it's the props market for an individual game or something for the series. Like Jokic to be the MVP, I mean, there's just no there's no value obviously in that. Even like Jokic getting a triple double game by game, there's no value in that anymore. But you know, there's some other things like top point score maybe in the series. Or for me, it's going to be Caleb Martin overs until. I see the Denver can stop him, which they may do it in game one. I don't know, game after game after game. Is there anything you're kind of looking at right now, whether it's for the entire series or just for individual games in terms of player props? Um, so let me go back and give you a little color on what you said about MV, uh, finals MVP odds. If you look at strictly the implied odds of what the numbers are uh, and what the implied odds are from that, uh, you look at a guy like Jokic, Denver, Denver's favorite price compared to Jokic's finals MVP price, there's a 5% chance implied that the Nuggets win, but somebody other than Jokic wins finals MVP. On the Heat side, it's even less than that. It's like a 2.4% implied chance that the Heat win, but somebody other than Jimmy Butler does. So I think you're exactly right, and I think the math backs that up, that there is not much of a lane to bet like those guys and get extra value instead of betting the series like some people sometimes like to. Uh, I would think maybe if Murray can get really hot from behind the, the three-point arc uh, and remain hot, which is something we, we've seen him struggle with throughout these playoffs, he can burn really hot, but he can be a little inconsistent. He hits like six threes in one game against the Lakers. He's 0 for 4 in game four. So that if you can get a little more consistency out of him, I do think there's a chance he could outscore Jokic, he could outscore Butler, and he could score the most points in the series. We were also talking uh, just about, like, some of the Heat players. Do you like Caleb Martin as well? I know that Ashley was saying that he's been taking him till the wheels fall off. Mm -hmm. But at one point, he was 30-1 to 1 to be top point scorer. I just – you guys are right when you say take it to the wheels fall off. I, you're totally right about the Simpsons meme, Trista, that you are talking about uh, before I came on here. I just feel like – like, I'm a buy low, sell high better. That's what I do. That's my bread and butter. This is like the ultimate sell high. Um, so I, I just, I can't buy in on Caleb Martin keeping this up, even though the, the recent history suggests that he's probably going to keep it up. What are your thoughts on the total, game one total, 219 and a half? I, I think you were means? right earlier, Ron. I think you were right earlier. I think it's I think it's bet overs early and, and unders late. I think... Uh, and maybe this won't be true for game one, but I could see it being true for like two, three, four, maybe five. Uh, I think we know what Denver's defense is going to do. It's going to be mediocre, maybe even you know below average. Uh, so we know Miami's going to score. We know Denver's going to score no matter what because nobody can stop that offense. I think the teams themselves are going to be what slow the offenses down. I think it's the adjustments. I think it's game to game or quarter to quarter focusing in on specific defensive matchups. 
I don't think a zone it, I, I think Miami will play a lot less zone against Denver than they will against Miami or uh, against they did against Boston simply because that zone's not going to work against Denver and Spolstra knows it any game where they throw a zone out for any extended amount of time is going to be massive offense uh, so I, I just think we're going to see a lot of points early and they might use that zone a little bit early and find out this is not working. And I think, uh, I think Zach did a good job earlier breaking that down too. Uh, just all the little pieces of the zone and why it's not going to work. You feel like there's going to be a little bit of just a feeling out process of the early part of this series. So we're going to have to sit back and kind of see the way that trends. Uh, Chase, I know you wrote an article at the end of last week about college football win totals. I mean, it, it's never too early to certainly jump into that. What are some of your favorite win total bets that you're looking at, whether you've already bet them or you're at least looking at them right now? Yeah, a uh, really big article that I'll update throughout the summer uh, on the BetMGM blog. I was really interested in looking at the top numbers. It's all the programs you expect. It's you know, it's Clemson. It's it's Ryan's Notre Dame squad at eight and a half. It's you know, half the SEC. It's it's like all the big programs. And then kind of nestled in there in in the top section of the win totals is Washington. And I was a little surprised by that, but I do some digging. I look at what they have coming back. Uh, Penix Jr. is actually, in terms of just pure passing yardage, number one returning quarterback in Power 5 football. He had more than Caleb Williams uh, down the coast at USC. So I do think Washington is a really interesting play there. The, the juice is on the under. I think they go to 10 wins this year. I really like the Washington over. And, and then just uh, like a pocket here. The Big Ten West had four teams last year that won more than six games or won seven games or more. But when you look at what those Big Ten West teams are at this year, right now, still early summer, there's only one team that has a win total of over six and a half. That's Wisconsin. And Wisconsin wasn't one of those four teams last year. So unless there's just a total cratering in the Big Ten West, I think the market is actually really soft on a lot of those teams in the Big Ten West, and I would be looking to play some overs there. I want to do a little bit more digging before I call out specific teams by name, but just looking at the market as a whole, you see what a crater there is there, and there's definitely some some opportunities to bet. Above the call on Washington, I believe they got 14 starters back. They led the Pac-12 in total offense last year, and that was, you know, then Penix gets injured. What are your thoughts? We only got about 60 seconds. Uh, early thoughts on USC going into next season because, as you know, like last year, I didn't believe the hype, didn't believe in the defense, and they kept winning games because all they did was take the football away, and Caleb Williams is the real deal. What are your thoughts on them this season heading into the year? Well, you and I both hated them last year, just like yeah. the hype machine was so out of control. But I kind of feel the same way this year, but I'm afraid to get burned again. <laughs> I just – I feel like – Here's a cross-sport comparison for you. Lincoln Riley feels a lot like the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Like, you know how high the floor is, but it also feels like the ceiling is low because there's something missing there. And so it feels like they're constantly stuck in this, well, we're competing for a playoff, but also we can't quite get over the hump and win a playoff game section. It's great that they have a, Heis a defending Heisman winning quarterback. I just think they're kind of pegged in this spot of national relevance yeah. where, they, where they can't quite get there. Yeah, he's Chase Kitty, Lions Edge Podcast. Could the Raiders be dealing with another quarterback issue already? It's been